lives. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your anointing, not only anointing Pastor Ruth and the Word, but anointing our hearts to receive it with gladness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Dave. I'm excited about the word this morning, are you? (laughs) It's called tie it, knot it, and it will make sense, I promise. Maybe not right now, but it will. So um, I'm going to preach from a scripture this morning that most of you probably have heard. Actually, some of you probably have it on a plaque on your wall, but that's okay because it's a simple verse, but it has some depth to it. And God wants to show you something. Not only that, this message this morning comes with a challenge. How many like challenges? So today's message is found in the book of Micah. Now, Micah was a prophet from the a town of Morasses, about 22 miles southwest of Jerusalem, near the Philistine border. And his book isn't very long. It only has seven chapters in it. And his message was both to Judah, well, more to Judah than to Israel, but to both of them. And Micah talked about both the judgment of God and the forgiveness of God in his book. And Micah presents this picture of, of God that's really amazing. It's that he is the almighty God who hates sin and loves the sinner. That's, God, that's the message that Micah presented. And this prophet lived about the time of King Ahab, King, Ahab, King Hezekiah, King Jotham, all of those. And one of his contemporaries was Isaiah the prophet. So now you kind of have an idea of the time period that this was written in. And um, the nation that Micah served as a prophet to at the time of of his writing of this story looked very much like, um, like we do right now. He taught in a culture that was full of idolatry, immorality, and outright rebellion against God and the worship of God. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) His message is very relevant and critical today as it was back then. And so the Lord showed me something which brought me to this book of Micah. And it was a message about how the world thinks and runs and how he, the God of all creation, thinks. And so this is what he said to me. He said, there, there will always be a collision with the system of this world when you walk in the truth of his word. My word is a higher level. Do you believe that? Do you live that? But my system and this truth, if you take it, it can transform you. He said, my system brings an explosion of life. The way he encourages you to live and walk out life, it brings life. And it releases those who are captive. So his truth, his word, what's in his systems, they unlock people's destinies. They unlock them from where they've been chained. His truth sets free. So does, this morning, do you want to live in the midst of an explosion of life? (laughs) Me too. Do you want to see destinies unlocked? Yeah. 
Do you want to see people set free? Yes. Is your heart longing to follow God unprecedented, longing after him like nothing else? Then prepare your heart this morning because the Lord's going to speak to you. So the passage, um, or what I want to present to you, this challenge that's from the God, from God this morning, I want you to know something. It clashes with how the world thinks. It, it actually, sorry, it actually might clash with how you think. But God wants you to know his heart. And he's saying this morning that if you really want to change your life, then you have to latch on to this truth that's found in the book of Micah. So, it's like to try to tell you the backlog of all that's happening. Because I only want to preach out of one verse. But to make you understand why he said what he said, I'm going to give you just a little bit about what was happening. So, God comes out and he accuses the Israelites. He says, what have I done that's wearied you? What have I done that, that you've forsaken me? God is really challenging the people. And then the people realize that they're in trouble. That they've got to do something. They've got to backpedal to try to figure out what to do to please God. And so they come up with this ridiculous list. One of the things they said, well, do you want us to sacrifice more calves? Well, how about 10,000 rams? Will that do it? Is that really what you want? 10,000 rams? How about this? Rivers of oil. We'll give you rivers of oil. Or is it that our children, are you wanting us to sacrifice our children? They actually said that to God. And so the answer, his response, is the verse that we're going to look at this morning. And it's in Micah 6, 8. And I want you to read along as I read it to you. And it says this. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Isn't that interesting? That's it. He isn't looking for all those sacrifices and all those things. He's looking for these things from you this morning. And he's saying that his truth, when you walk out these things, there's an explosion of life that happens within you. And so the word require in there, that is a Hebrew word, and I'm going to have him put it up there. I think it's Doris. It's D-O-R-E-S. I don't even know how you say it. Okay, But that word, this is what it means. It means claim as due. In other words, you owe this to God. He's requiring it from you. So God is telling his people, he's demanding from them, and he's only asking for three simple things. Is that simple enough? And it's amazing to see, really, when you start looking, how much God talks about these three things all through his word in relationship to you, and relationship to himself as well. Justice, mercy, and humility. It's interesting. So last night, Mike and I went to Kenosha. Uh, Mark Moore, the man that leads worship sometimes on the piano, he was set in as a pastor in the church in Kenosha last night. 
And so it was a commissioning service and we went to it. And it was interesting that the pastor that preached shared about humility. And so I got some good points. Anyway. So the issue that comes with conflict between is that in our own nature, inside of you, the old man, you like things your way. Anybody ever experienced that? You like things your way? And God likes things his way. And that's where we come into conflict. And our, our natural man or our fleshly man actually fights against his standard. And God is wanting you to know that because his standard in you brings life, that you can, you can bank on it, that if you walk in his standard, it changes how, how you live. So um, it's interesting, in the book of Micah, he says to the people, you already know this. You already know these things. He actually talked about a similar passage as in Deuteronomy. We're not going to go there, but so let's look in depth at that there are three requirements from the Lord. Number one, number one is to do justly, to do justly. Different translations say uh, do justice, to be just, and I like what the New Living Translation says because I think it's simpler. It says do what is right. Simple, right? Because you, you talk about justly, sometimes you're like, well, what is that? In fact, when we talk about justice, what's the th- first thing that comes to your mind? A courtroom? Maybe, yeah? Maybe it, you think about political or economic realms, maybe? And today, I want you to take away all of those realms, and I want you to think about justice in your own personal life. How you act out justice. All right? So do you practice justice on, on a daily basis in your life? Are, are your responses, your actions, your decisions, are they all based on justice? Doing, you know, doing what is right. Are you fair in your dealings? Um, it's interesting, in Psalms 89.14... And I don't know that that one's up there, but it says that justice is actually a part of the foundation of the throne of God. It says that righteousness and justice are the very foundations of his throne. So justice has to be pretty important to him. I love that Moses, um, not Moses, Abraham, sorry. Abraham, in all of his bravery, he's talking to God and he said, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He asks them that. And that's when it's about Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's asking, well, what if there were 40 and 30 and 20 and all of that that he was saying? He says to God, he says, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So to do justly, like, what exactly does that look like in your life? What are the things you need to do? What's required of you? And I'm going to share a passage out of Exodus 23. I'm going to use the New Living because it is easier to understand. But they aren't the things you maybe deal with, but you'll get the idea of what justice really is. So in verse 1, he says, do not pass along any false rumors or reports. Okay? That's easy. Do what is right. 
You must not cooperate with evil people by lying on the witness stand. Okay? Verse 2, it says, don't follow the crowd in doing wrong. And when you're called to testify in a dispute, don't be swayed by the crowd to twist justice. In 3, it says, don't slant your testimony in favor of a person just because that person is poor. God's saying, do the things that are right. The things you live in every day, do the things that are right. Four is pretty interesting. And it's pretty challenging, too, because he says, if you come upon your enemy's ox or donkey, that is straight away, take him back to his owner. Do good to those that hurt you. Pray for those that despitefully use you. If he takes your cloak, give him your whatever... You know, yeah, Jesus is speaking. He's telling them all that. These, these are the justice ideas, the doing what is right. It's interesting in verse 5, he says, If you see a donkey of someone who hates you, who has collapsed under its load, do not walk by and sit, stop and help. In a lawsuit, you must not deny justice to the poor. It says, be sure Never to change anyone, charge anyone falsely with evil. Never sentence an innocent or blameless person to death. In verse 8, it says, don't take bribes, because bribes will twist you and make things wrong. In verse 9, it says that you must not oppress foreigners. It's interesting. These are just a few of the things. Like if I went through the scripture of all the things that are to do what is right, we'd be here all day. And so you know what I'm talking about. Justice is doing the things that are right. Practicing justice is doing what is right no matter what. And God is the God of justice. In fact, let me tell you a few things about his justice, God's justice. In the Psalm, well, actually in Deuteronomy, it says, all of his ways are justice. In Psalms, it says he loves justice. And then it's interesting that God promises in Psalm 106.3, he says this, Blessed are you who keep justice. So if you live in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord with justice, you get blessed. Love that. Um, Our nation was founded on the word of God, in case you've forgotten, that's truth. I'm just reminding you that. And there's this one sentence that we learned as a child when we pledged ourselves to the nation. Do you remember that? Liberty and justice for all? (laughs) Do you remember that? Do you daily live out that with everyone you encounter? Seriously, do you? Do you? So number two. Number two is to love mercy. Maybe this second requirement is a little more difficult. I'm not sure. It doesn't tell you to be merciful. It tells you to love mercy. There's a lot that can be said about that. You see, loving mercy is not, it's an action. It's not a thought. It's an actual action. God doesn't say that we simply show mercy. He actually requires us to passionately love mercy. So mercy best defined is this, not getting what we deserve. That's mercy, not getting what we deserve. 
You see, all of us, I can guarantee you, all of us love being on the receiving end of mercy. You like when people don't give you what you deserve, correct? But do we love extending mercy? See, in Micah 6, 8, God is saying, hey, I want you to love mercy. And when you love mercy, it's going to change people's lives. How does mercy play out in your life? It means not giving people what they deserve, always giving people the benefit of the doubt, thinking the best of those you meet. Always thinking the best. Whatever you hear, thinking the best. Not, not agreeing with all the bad things you hear, but thinking the best about people. In the book of Proverbs, there's an interesting verse. And it's part of why the title of the message is what it is. It's in Proverbs 3, 3 and 4. It says, it says let not mercy and truth forsake you. It actually says to bind them around your neck. Like wear them like a necklace. It says write them on the tablet of your heart. And then look at verse 4. It says, and so you will find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. You gain favor with God and favor with man when you love mercy. Let mercy be the center of every action you have and every reaction. See, action maybe is easy, but reaction? Hmm, not so good at that one. I'm quick to react in the wrong way. Are you? Let mercy and truth be the very foundation of how you think and what you do. Let mercy be what you live. It, mercy, this truth, is meant to hold you securely. It's to keep you safe. You see, it's easy to judge someone. Really easy. Really easy to judge someone. And if you don't agree with me, then you're not telling the truth because it is so easy to judge people. But it's a whole lot harder to extend mercy, especially if they irritate you. You see, when we really love mercy, not just believe in mercy, but love mercy, our first reaction will come from a place of mercy and not judgment. We are called to stop judging one another. Actually, we're called to stop judging the world. Man, we got a lot to say about our country. We got a lot to say about our politicians. We got a lot to say about our neighborhood and our government. All of us have a lot to say. But the Bible tells us to judge not lest we be judged. In Matthew 7, 1 and 2, it, it, that's what it says. Judge not that ye be judged. And then it's the scary part. For with what judgment you judge, you're going to be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That hurts. I will be judged by how I judge. We are quick to cry, guilty, you're guilty. We take the seat of judge when our love for mercy should be compelling us to stretch out Christ's hand towards them. 
You see, it's not about whether they deserve it or not, and it's not about guilt or innocence. It's about God requiring it of us. And this is what he says in Micah 6, 8. Love mercy. Love mercy. Love mercy. Plain and simple. I don't know about you, but I got a long ways to go. I want to be merciful, but do I love mercy? But thankfully, he is the merciful God. Do you remember some of the times in the New Testament when Jesus is walking along and they, people on the side of the road, they cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me! Son of David, have mercy on me! What does he do? Every time he stopped, turned his attention, and touched them. It is possible that when people are the least deserving, it's when they need our mercy the most. It's even possible that your church family needs mercy when you feel the least like extending it. And we're called to be merciful. Jesus told us in Matthew 7, 5, 7, he said, blessed are the merciful. For what? They shall obtain mercy. Yeah. Let's get back to, to what we give. We need mercy, then extend it. Do you ever have a bad day and, and you actually just deserve the book thrown at you? Honestly, driving to Kenosha, I needed the book thrown at me yesterday. I was not a very nice person. Thankfully, my husband loves mercy and he's extended mercy to me. He only growled a little. <laughs> See, that's when I needed mercy the most. That's when I needed it the very most. James tells us a fascinating thought. He says, mercy triumphs over judgment. I want to read that verse out of the Passion Translation. It's James 2.13. And remember that judgment is merciless for those who judge others without mercy. So by showing mercy, you take dominion over judgment. Don't you love that? I want to remind you what God's mercy is like. And I'm not going to give you the references. You can come and get them from me afterwards if you want them. But it says that he is abundant in mercy. It says that all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. It says his mercy is everlasting. It says he abounds in mercy. It says he's rich in mercy. That's our Papa. That's our God. That's who he is. It's interesting that when Peter came and he thought himself really going the extra mile, he says to Jesus, when he asks, how many times should you forgive a brother? And he says, oh, seven. Seven, that's a lot. And God goes, no, how about seven times you know, he's, it was crazy. For the one who truly loves God and remembers all God has done, doing justly and loving mercy are as natural as water falling downhill. That's what it should come out of our lives. It, we should love justice and love mercy so much that it flows from us. And the last one, number three, we walk humbly with your God. 
Humility is about character. <laughs> In 1 Peter 5.5, 5, it says this, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another. And then it says, And be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That word clothed in there, in the Greek, it can mean to be to bind or to tie in a knot, okay? That, that word can be to tie it in a knot. And when Peter wrote this, he was probably thinking of the night before the Passover when Jesus was with his disciples. And he took that towel, and I don't even know what it looked like, but he took it and he wrapped it around himself and he tied it on himself. And then he went to each one of them and he knelt down in front of them and he took that towel that was wrapped around him, tied with a knot, and he washed their feet. That's humility. That's humility. That's a picture of being clothed with humility. So we're supposed to tie it on and knot it so it stays there and it doesn't get loose and get away from us. Tie it on. And it says in verse 6 of 1 Peter 5, it says, Therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. When I think about humility, I think about John the Baptist, and I I think about the time when his disciples came to him and they said, Hey, John, you know that guy that you baptized in the, the river, the guy over there? They're all going to him. Everybody's going to him to get baptized. They're not coming to us anymore. And John says something interesting. He says, I must decrease, and he must increase. Yeah. He must increase, but I must decrease. Think of a scale going up and down. Whatever is weightier goes down, right? Does humility weigh in the heaviest in your life? So it didn't just say be humble in that verse, in that requirement. It said to walk humbly with your God. And so I have an illustration for you this morning. So... I need, um, let me see, I need Abby, and I need Drew, and I need Elliot, and I need Josh. Drat, you just had to come today, didn't you? All right, so I want you guys to pretend like I'm God. And you're going to walk humbly with your God, okay? So, are you ready to walk humbly with, you guys ready to walk humbly with your God? Sure. Okay. One of you. (laughs) Okay, so when we walk humbly with our God, we walk along together. We're connected. We're not up there, Right? If we're walking with him, we're not ahead of him. Oh, and we're not behind him. We're we're together. We're with him. We're not walking behind him. And, oh, we're not distracted by everything on our phone. We're actually walking with him. Yeah? Okay, thanks, guys. That's, That's just a picture of walking humbly with our God. 
You know, you can't hear very well if you're far away. It's hard to hear what's being said. Well, my ears, anyway. You miss a great deal if you only walk with him once a week. You really miss a lot of information. And we miss opportunities. When we're way up there, we miss the opportunities that are here because we're way ahead of him. And so we miss out on what he wants to do. So sometimes we, you know, and then sometimes we think that so much of our opinions that we don't have room for his truth to change us. Do you ever walk there? That you think you know it all? Humility does not walk in, I think I know everything. Humility allows the words of God to dwell in our heart. That changes how we see things. Don't ever get so set in your ideas about God that he can't show you areas that need adjustment. He's the all-wise God. And his ways are far above yours. And we tend to think that we got it all, we know it all. And that church is not humility. It says we must walk in humility with our God. And that means we are teachable. Always stay teachable, church. Stay teachable. Don't let your stinking thinking cause you to miss what God wants to show you. We can always learn. We can always grow. Walking with him in humility allows his spirit to teach you day by day as you're walking together. You'll be ever increasing in your knowledge of him. It's interesting of the three things that God requires of us. Two of them are horizontal. They're about your dealings with mankind. And one of the things that he requires of you is vertical. And that's your dealing with God. I truly do not believe that I can fulfill loving mercy and always being just towards my brethren if I do not walk humbly with him first. I think it takes this relationship in order for the other two to, to actually work. If your relationship and communion with God is like what I showed you in, your, in the illustration, behind, ahead, or distracted, it, it will be difficult to love, to be just and love mercy. So when you hear that phrase, walk humbly with your God, to me it speaks about relationship first of all. And God doesn't want robots, he wants relationship. He wants you to know him. He wants you to understand his ways. He wants to reveal to you things you do not know. He wants to show you mysteries and revelation. Honestly, he does. He knows your weakness and your strength and church. He still chose you. He picked you. Walking humbly with your God implies a constant activity and progress. You're not just stagnant. You're not just right here. If I'm walking with my God, I'm moving. I'm constantly moving. And I'm making progress. The kingdom of God is not stagnant. The truth is it's always advancing. The kingdom is always advancing. Are we behind it? Are we? We need to stay with what God is doing. We need to hear his voice and know where he's leading us. Keep moving forward. Walking humbly with your God marks you as consistent. You're not called to be hot one day and cold the next. 
You're called to change with the winds. You're not, you're not called to change with the winds of what happens in America. You're not called to let circumstances and life struggles throw you off course. You see, when you're walking with him, you understand he's got it. He's got it. He's covering you. He's taking care of you. He's meeting your needs. He's with you, and he's not forsaking you. And when you're walking humbly with him, you see that. You see that, and you, it allows you to be consistent in your walk. You can be unchanging, unwavering, purposeful, and you do it all in humility. And then it, I love that walking humbly with your God includes delightful confidence. Did you see it said your God? It doesn't say walk humbly with Michael's God or Ruth's God or Laura's God. It says walk humbly with your God. So there's this, this knowing of who he is. And there's a verse. It was actually prophesied to me in Rochester one time when I was there. But it's, it's an interesting verse, and I'm just reading a sentence out of, of excuse me, Song of Solomon 8.5, and it says, Who is this coming from, up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? That's a picture of the church leaning upon him, and that's you. Who is, who is that coming up out of the wilderness, leaning? You see, that's that walking with him consistently in confidence. You're leaning on him who's going to show you and lead you and take you. In humility, you remember you're called, you're chosen. Your confidence comes from understanding who he is in you. And that will radiate to those that you meet, drawing people to him. Thank you, Lord. So in Colossians 3.12, it says, Since God chose you to be a holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And that, again, is that tying it on that nodding it up so that it becomes so much a part of you that it naturally just comes out. Your responses become justice and mercy and humility. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require from you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. He set forth those requirements for you. Are you walking in them? That's my challenge to you today. To walk in them to the full extent you can. Because I truly believe that it's life-giving. And not only that, that it will break, it will break the chains off of people when you are just and merciful and walk in humility with them. And you extend his hand to them, you will see changes in their life. And God is wanting you to know that that living from the truth of Micah six eight will release captives. It will unlock those who are changed. And as you extend those graces to those you encounter, tie them on, write them on your heart, keep them near to you. 
I encourage you to look at the three ver- the words and find the things in the scripture. There's hundreds of scriptures about them. And the Lord will speak to you. He brought me to this passage for you today. So he has something for you in all of this. So will you stand with me? Lord, in your word, you said that you had these three requirements. And we just confess right now all the ways that we have failed you in it. And we ask you to let us start afresh today. And we ask you, merciful God, to fill us with mercy today. That we can love mercy from a pure heart. We ask you, Lord, to fill us with your your surrounding presence so much that we understand it is you and in you and by you that we move and live and not in ourselves and we can walk in humility then and we ask Lord that you would teach us to always love justice God that we would do what is right day by day but most of all God that we would be pleasing to you our father that you would look at our hearts and you would see our mouths moving and our actions of our, our thoughts and that you would be pleased with us, oh God. Pour your spirit upon us as a congregation this morning that we might experience walking with you in humility in a greater way. And we just thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Put your hand in your heart this morning. May our Father bless you and keep you. May he give his grace to you. Oh, his grace is so wonderful. Hallelujah. May he go with you all the days of your life, blessing you with his grace, his wonderful grace. Amen.